The Nationals continue to make moves and address their needs in the offseason. John Lester is now a National. Chase Hughes and I are going to discuss that today. Is he a better choice than Corey Kluber? What comes next for the Nationals? Plus, should they trade Victor Robles? Matt Weirich is going to join us from NBCSportsWashington.com as well. The Nationals Talk Podcast, Nick Ashew, Chase Hughes, coming up next. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Swing and a wide drive, base hit right field. Max Scherzer has done it again. Do you believe it, Howie Kendrick? Part two. The celebration is on. The Washington Nationals are the world champions. Chase, if I was to look back on, I guess, just the last few weeks and, and, and given the conversation that we've had about a slow offseason for the Nationals, but now kind of go in order some of the names that they've signed, we had Kyle Schwarber and talked about him last week on the podcast. Josh Bell wasn't too far before that. Now John Lester is a national. And I know he's not the John Lester that we remember. I know he's not an ace anymore. But right now, for John Lester to be your fourth starter on this team, I was, one, completely shocked when I saw the rumor that they were just talking. And then not too long after that, uh, the Nats have signed John Lester. I'm ecstatic about this deal because it's much more low pressure for him. You put him in a situation where he's your fourth starter. He's got a lot of experience in really important games. All of this stuff together on a team that we know has always been built around pitching and prioritizes their rotation. I love this move. This is my favorite move of the offseason for them. Yeah, all three of these additions are players that were all-stars that didn't have great years last year or are trying to reclaim something. So they got them at a lower price, you know, whether it was uh, the money they spent or in Bell's case, the prospects they gave up. I'm excited about this too. I mean, I'm a sucker for big names. I will admit that. I love the splashy headline. I think it has to do with the fact that I grew up in this area rooting for the Washington football team and my formative years included, you know, signing Deion Sanders and Bruce Smith. And I just sort of got don't, in condition. We don't, no, 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 we don't like to bring up those days. You know that those were horrible <laughs> days. They never worked out. It was don't compare it to that because that's a horrible idea. But it's it's one of those situations where it's like, OK, yeah, the basement's pretty low, but the ceiling is also really high. You know, you put them in this rotation and you consider it just a potential Max Scherzer, one of the best pitchers of all time. Steven Strasburg, uh, really good pitcher. Two years ago, had one of the best postseasons we've ever seen. Patrick Corbin's really good, would be an ace on a lot of teams. Now John Lester, who's one of the best starting pitchers in postseason history. So you've got a lot of question marks here, but the ceiling is extremely high. And, you know, you've probably seen the numbers out there. Lester's got a 2-5-1 ERA in 154 postseason innings. That's remarkable. Here's an interesting wrinkle I don't think many people have pointed out yet. He is very, very close to having a Hall of Fame resume, but by most accounts is not quite there, okay? For example, Baseball Reference has this thing called the Hall of Fame monitor, where it's like this cumulative stat, where it's like if you get all-star appearances or win the World Series and these different awards, it's like it adds up. And the threshold to make the Hall of Fame 
is 100. And there's only a few guys who are beyond that. They're active players. It's like Verlander, Scherzer, Kershaw, Granke. He's at 96. So he basically needs just like one more good season, maybe two, and he'll be on his way to Cooperstown. So I think you're, you're looking at a guy who, yeah, he's 37. He's accomplished a lot. You wonder how much he has left. Well, there's still a lot for him to sort of gun for in what is obviously the ultimate prize in baseball, and that is to be in the Hall of Fame. I think we can look at this, too, and say that the Nationals clearly want to still win. Like I understand that just looking at John Lester alone at 37 years old, okay, you're not saying, well, that's their ace. This is somebody they're signing to be, you know, go out there and, and win you 20 games. And it's, it's a different situation with him there, but they're also not – they're not just standing pat, which was my biggest worry about this offseason, Chase, was that they were just going to sit around, not really make any moves. And for a while, I mean, we had this conversation on here where it was like they got they got needs and they're not really going after any big names. They also don't seem to be going after or anybody. And now that's changed. And what I like about the situation, John Lester, but also just the rest of this offseason, what they've done, it's it's short deals. So it's it's low risk. It can be high reward, and you have players that are motivated being in short contracts where they say, all right, I want to go out and make sure that I can get another contract. What they have done right now is not a long-term fix for this roster. We know that they need to get some more youth. We know that they need to, they need to get some more talent back in that farm system. But that being said, where they are, at least in the moment, is it feels at least a lot better that this team is now improving from where they were in 2020, which, as we know, doesn't count. So we just try to ignore that it ever happened. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think it shows that they're serious. And we wondered, you know, how would they operate this offseason? Because we all knew after what happened last year in that truncated season where league finances were affected, that some teams were going to sort of wait it out and, and probably – use it as an excuse not to spend money and not go after old series. And it seems like it's been this select few amount of teams that have actually been operating like it's a normal off season. And the nationals have been one of those teams. And yes, you mentioned the flexibility that you have with these short-term deals. And I think that's important, but these to me represent when now moves. I don't think you sign a John Lester. If you're just trying to have a transitional year where you're going to develop young guys, because you would probably just, pave the way for your young prospects who are basically all pitchers to get an opportunity at the big league level. Right now, you're counting on a guy in John Lester as your fourth starter who, you know, maybe isn't the same pitcher he was two years ago, the last time he had an all-star season, but he's always basically available to pitch. You know, he's, he's pitched the maximum amount of starts each of the last six seasons. Even last year, he pitched 12 games. And if he can recreate um, anything close to what he was just a couple years ago, that's a really, really good fourth starter. And obviously we're looking at the ceiling when it comes to the postseason because that's what you associate him with. So I think you have to, you have to appreciate the Nationals trying. There's a lot of different reasons why they maybe could have not tried this offseason as hard as they have. One would be the finances around the league. Another would be the resources. They had limited resources in terms of prospects to deal from and money to spend in free agency. And then also, you know, we're getting further and further removed from this, but I, I've mentioned it before. You win a World Series, sometimes that's enough. One World Series for a team, for an ownership group, for a front office. Clearly, that wasn't enough for them. They're going for another one. And I think if you're a fan, you have to appreciate that and look around the context of baseball and realize that not every team is operating that way. The Nationals, when they went into this offseason, said they were going to act like winners and try to win again. And I think that's exactly what they're doing.
What did I tell you, man? In Rizzo, we trust, right? Yeah. No, it, absolutely. He he was destined. He was destined to do something this offseason. And I, I'd kind of I'd argue that at least a couple of them between Josh Bell, John Lester was probably the biggest. So would would that be the biggest surprise out of all the signings they made to you? Because to me, John Lester is the biggest surprise out of all of them. I think so. Yeah, especially when you see the money that he got, uh, you know, around five million uh, with some incentives. Yeah, it's like Uh, all incentives in the deal. That's the best part about this. Right. Schwarber, we had talked about Schwarber. We had linked him to Schwarber. I mean, it made sense. You just you go to any like list of free agents and you look at outfielders and realize they need power and a lefty bat. It made sense. Lester, to me, it all came together so quickly. I remember hearing the rumor, and then I was on the ri- or listening to the radio driving, and they were like, oh, yeah, it's coming to fruition. It was like an hour later. Yeah. That surprised me, and he's such a big name. Like I said, borderline Hall of Famer. That Yeah, that was by far the most surprising so far. I wonder if they have another move left in them, though. Corey Kluber? Is it Corey Kluber now, too? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if they're going to get another starter. If they did do another move, uh, I do wonder what it would be. I, I would guess maybe an infielder. You know, maybe they're not uh, – I mean, I hate to say it. Maybe, maybe they look at third base. Yeah, well, they need to look at third base because your guy at third base can't play third base, and that's the biggest <laughs> issue. But, yeah, they, they still need to think about addressing some of their defensive issues. You know, like I understand they got some bats. We needed that middle-of-the-lineup middle bat. You got a couple of them, but – you know, you're still looking at this team defensively and there's a lot to be desired. Yeah, there is. I mean, you're not going to get much better with Schwarber or Josh Bell. We've talked no. about it. Both those guys bring big bats, uh, not exactly the glove. And that's part of why they became available. Uh, I mean, if you have the pitching staff that it looks like you could have, if Scherzer is still Scherzer and Patrick Corbin bounces back and Strasburg's healthy, I'm, I'm obviously I'm using the word if quite a bit here. And John Lester is uh, some something that resembles what he was two years ago. That'll help the defense. If Victor Robles plays like he did two years ago in center field, that'll help. Uh, you know, Juan Soto, I think, could be a pretty good right fielder. But certainly the defense is going to be a question mark at this point. And, you know, it kind of leads me to, to one of the, our next topics here is that Wilson Contreras, you know, he keeps kind of subtweeting the Cubs, both on Twitter and Instagram, uh, doesn't seem like he wants to go through a rebuild. You know, he tweeted does the other day. As a, does it count as a subtweet, though, if it's on Instagram? Well, on Instagram, it was technically a comment on something saying, so like, the Nationals a, a got sub, a good one. But it was definitely, brand. it was, yeah, it was definitely <laughs> a subtweet where he tweeted, compete, 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 in all caps. And yeah. uh, we had a blog about it on our website. And it, it looks like he doesn't really, I mean, you read between the lines there, it doesn't look like he is maybe all that happy with the direction that the Cubs are going. He's a good defensive catcher. You know, if you read up on him, uh, that's basically some, an area he made a lot of strides. He's a really good offensive catcher. I mean, you can compare his numbers to JT Real Muto. He's one of the better offensive catchers in the league. Two years ago, hit 24 homers, had an OPS near 900. And he's gotten a lot better defensively. Like there's a lot, a lot of articles that have been written about it. So, I mean, Jan Gomes, uh, you know, it looks like he's the starter at this point. They got a little bit of depth behind him, but that's technically an area you can upgrade. And if you want to just keep collecting Cubs, Nick, you know, you already got Schwarber, you already got Lester, you got David Martinez. Uh, it's a growing list. Might as well bring in a guy named Contreras or named Wilson. You know, they had some success with a catcher named Wilson a few years ago, Wilson Ramos. And if he's not happy, hey, bring him in. You're just bringing in people that are all friends, right? You hope. It's just like, let's just bring all your friends in. Everybody from Chicago, come on down to D.C. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if it's going to be Chris Bryant. You know, we've kind of went, we've gone through that before. But I really uh, feel like we can move past that. I I don't think that's going to happen. 
And I don't think they're going to let go of Javi Baez. That obviously the uh, the price tag for that would be pretty high. Contreras, yeah. If you want to get another Cub, that's the one I think you try to go get. Yeah, and, and it makes sense, and that's still certainly a need for them. And it's, you know, I, I guess at this point now you kind of put yourself in a position where you've got extra little details to fill in. But you, I, I like overall. So like, if we could look back at this offseason chase and sort of where they are, I, I feel like this is a pretty strong offseason now. Like, it, it, it overall, in terms of the things that they've done, if they go into the season with what they have, we know that it's not going to be it, – it's not – like, no team actually addresses every single need that they have in the offseason, right? Like, there's always something that's there. But I, I overall feel much better about this team now going into this season with exactly the roster they have than where we were heading into this offseason. Well, they've addressed their three biggest needs and they didn't give up a whole lot to do that. They didn't spend a ton of money on Schwarber or certainly Lester came in at a, a low price. I wonder if he's just, you know, maybe he, he's one of those guys who could have gotten more money from another team, maybe a rebuilding team, but is used to pitching in October and wants to be with a team who gives them an opportunity to do that. Um, and they didn't give up much in the way of prospects for Josh Bell. So right now, uh, they've already addressed their biggest needs. They still got to probably add, you know, some depth to their bullpen. We've talked about their bench right now. It's got some things that you like about it. You know, you got some defense, you've got some base runners, uh, but you don't necessarily have a big bat. You, you don't, and you got some defensive versatility, which is good, but you could, you're probably going to try to add a piece or two there. We've talked about maybe Ryan Zimmerman being a backup to Josh Bell. Um, your rotation looks like it's in pretty good shape now that you got the fourth starter position settled uh you know obviously in spring training there'll likely be a competition with the fifth starter spot right now i think i give them a b plus um i think if, if there's another move in store like if they upgrade uh you know if they get another bat per se um or if they, or if they bring in a, a reliever who's really going to make a difference i think that could move me to an a and i don't think i'm, I'm being too generous here I, I think they've had a really good offseason i think this is Another example, and I don't mean to be drinking the Kool-Aid, but Mike Rizzo knows what he's doing, man. He's one of the best GMs out there, and he's already addressed their biggest needs and done so, I think, in a crafty way in each instance. So I really like what they've done so far. What grade would you give them? I'd probably give them a B. I'd like to see them still address some things defensively, but it's also kind of one of those situations where you look at it and go, well, what are they going to do? I mean, third base would be one spot that I would say okay if you get a better third you know defensive third baseman maybe but like it's we're at the point now where you, you we're at the point now where I can at least look at this team and say that they have improved and it's funny I'm, I'm going back while I say that and I, I think of what you said where you talk about Mike Rizzo as being one of the best general managers and it really is year in and year out he finds ways to surprise us where he makes decisions with this roster a lot of times though it's ended up being at the deadline, right? Like where he'll pull out, we know almost every single year they've had to figure out some way to address their bullpen. And almost every single year, Rizzo finds a way to bring in some bullpen help. Now, whether that works long-term or short-term or doesn't work out at all, we can go back and break down each individual move if you want, and that becomes a whole different scenario. But he always finds ways to make changes to this roster. And it's one of the reasons why I stressed for so long before they gave him that new deal that his contract was more important than anything else that they had to deal with any other decision they had to make, not even Scherzer, not Davey, not one person. It was all about Rizzo and getting him re-signed because he's the architect of this team. And he is the person that, you know, 
his philosophy, the way he builds this roster, the way he keeps retooling it, if you don't have somebody in place that you can trust that can do that, then that trickle-down effect can, can cause problems for everything else within the organization. And I wonder what he still has up his sleeve for the rest of this offseason because they've addressed their biggest needs, but again, they haven't had to spend a lot to do so. Is there another move, at least on the, the level of what they've already done, that's in the works? Um, you know, is there another move that he can, can make that would maybe push them into World Series contender status? I think right now you're probably putting them as a team that can contend for the division and make the playoffs. Um, you know, we've been down this road before where they're World Series favorites. Sometimes it doesn't work out. But is there I'd another big not splash? to be a World Series favorite, by the way. Like, I'd prefer them to be the team that's that's – not even an underdog, but just not in the conversation like, you know, the Braves and the Dodgers are right now. I, I, I'd rather them be in this spot. Well, it seems like they have their best seasons when there aren't the highest expectations and have their worst seasons when there are very high expectations. After Bryce Harper said, where's my ring? Uh, you know, they bottomed out in their first season with Max Scherzer. It was after that signing that he made that, that comment. Uh, you know, when it comes to the signings they made, uh, you mentioned Corey Kluber. I, I've wondered, like, would you rather have John Lester or Corey Kluber, because there are reports that the Nationals at least watched his workout. Um, they ended up going with Lester. I think they made the right move because Lester has the durability working for him. You know, Kluber hasn't really pitched much the last two years because of injuries, but the ceiling might even be higher because he's got two Cy Youngs on his on his mantle at home. Yeah, um, I, I worry about another pitcher being in that rotation that's injury prone. Like, we don't yeah, know where Strasburg is right now. And even Scherzer. I mean, Scherzer's now 36. We know what, look, we know that recovering from anything, the older you get, Chase, only gets harder. It's everything, yeah. man. Like, normal people have to deal with it. And you know a professional athlete is going to have those problems, unless you're, I guess, LeBron James, who just spends millions of dollars a year and is not human and continues to just never have a single injury ever. But I would rather have somebody like John Lester at this point now, one, given the experience that he's had in so many important games and winning multiple World Series, but two, the Corey Kluber situation. Yes, the ceiling is higher, but there's also the floor because if he misses a month, a month and a half because there's recurring injuries and we don't know where Strasburg is right now and Scherzer has had some issues. It hasn't been as bad, but we've started to see some issues trickling in over the last couple of seasons too with him where he hasn't been as durable as he used to be. All of those together could spell disaster for that rotation. So I am, again, Lester's still 37, so it's not like he's young and he doesn't have that risk too. But Corey Kluber just has had, he's had a very rough injury history recently and that, that would scare me off. I like Lester as a move instead. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think with the number four spot, the thing you're looking for more than anything is stability, especially with all the question marks uh, with your top three guys. I mean, Patrick Corbin, there's no injury concern, but he did have a down year last year, even though it was in a, a shortened season. Um, you know, Scherzer, you're wondering when's the magic going to run out. I think he's got at least one more good season left in him, if not more than that. And Strasburg, that that nerve injury in his in his wrist is just such an unknown. I mean, um, it's, it's not an elbow, it's not a shoulder, but it's, it's something that, you know, you haven't heard that many pitchers deal with. So they just need someone who can take the ball every fifth day, 31 times a year. And that's what John Lester essentially does best at this point in his career. And if you get into the postseason and those guys are all healthy, uh, that is quite the rotation, man. I mean, Scherzer seems like he exercised his postseason demons in 2019, uh, Patrick Corbin uh, was a little bit up and down, but obviously was extremely valuable as a, a starter slash reliever. And then you would have Strasburg and Lester, who were legitimately two of the like four or five best postseason pitchers of their generation. I think 
Strasburg, you can put him in that category and certainly Lester, you can. So uh, you get into the postseason. this, this rotation could do, do a lot of damage. And it's, I know other people have made this point, but it's just Rizzo going back to what he believes is the foundation of championship baseball clubs. And that is starting pitching. I mean, there's a reason why they have invested more money in their starting pitchers than any other team in baseball. Um, and it goes back to his days with the Diamondbacks when they won a world series with um, Kurt Schilling, Kurt Schilling and, and Randy Johnson. Uh, you know, he's, he, he spent basically all the money that he has to put into the roster. He's put into the starting rotation, you know, whether it be in free agency with Patrick Corbin and Max Scherzer or re-signing uh, um, uh, Steven Strasburg. So this is his philosophy and he's staying true to it. And I can't blame him. I mean, it won him a World Series. Now, what about the chance for trades? That certainly could happen at any point. Could they trade Victor Robles? NBC Sports Washington's Matt Weirich is going to join us. And he thinks they should. He'll explain why next on the National Stock Podcast. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And Matt joins us now, and, and, and this has been a conversation, I guess, that's kind of gotten a little more in terms of legs over the past year or so. And just given how Victor Robles, Matt, has evolved as a player, his strengths, his weaknesses, we know defensively he's great. We know at the plate it's a problem. You think that they should consider training him now? Yeah, Nick, it's definitely an interesting question. I think with where Robles is at in his career right now, he's kind of at a crossroads season where up until this point, we haven't really seen what we were expecting out of him as a prospect. You know, he had all the tools. He, he was projected to have a better career than Juan Soto, and obviously that hasn't happened. You know, he was supposed to be the guy in Washington, and so far he hasn't been that. But you are still seeing some signs where he has that potential. You mentioned the glove. He's an excellent defensive center fielder, maybe one of the best in all of baseball, and certainly – coming into this season looks like a gold glove candidate at the plate. You know, he has some problems with plate discipline, but you can see the power is evident when he does make the contact. If he waits and gets his pitches, he's able to hit to all fields. It's there. He's just kind of has to fine tune a few things. So you could look at Robles and say, okay, with four years of control, there are still a lot of good things that we can get out of him. I mean, he's still the age of a prospect at this point. So you could definitely, as a team who would be interested in Robles, look at him and say, okay, he could be our center fielder of the future. We're at that point where if he has one more season, like he did in 2019, like he did in 2020, then you're really going to start questioning is that something that he can do long-term? So right now it might just be the sweet spot year where the Nationals could say, okay, you know, we could trade him now and kind of hedge our bets a little bit and get something out of him before he goes in and, and has a, a bad year in 2021 if they think that's something that could happen. Yeah, I think it's an interesting debate because we, we all know the names that uh, they reportedly could have gotten for him, like JT Real Muto and and I think they were justified in holding on to him because he helped them win a World Series and he was a really good defensive player in 2019. So I don't think you look back on those decisions with regret, but you also don't want to hang on to a player too long. And, and do you think Michael A. Taylor is kind of the worst case scenario in a way here? Obviously, people love Michael A. Taylor, 
but he was a top prospect. They didn't trade him. He sort of turned into kind of a four, a player, uh, you know, at least a fourth outfielder, not a starting caliber player. Uh, so do you think even though they didn't sell high on Robles at one point, there's still an element of selling high on him? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's kind of like what we saw with Lucas Giolito, where, you know, where he was in his career, he didn't really have a whole lot of time in the major leagues. But what the Nationals saw was declining velocity, and that scared them. You know, for a former Tommy John guy, they decided, okay, let's see what we can get out of him now. And, you know, at the time, only getting Adam Eaton in return for Giolito and and Dunning and, and that whole package, that definitely seemed like, okay, we're not the Nats aren't really getting the package they could have gotten for him, but they still were able to get something. And it turned out to be a, you know, a player who played an integral role in their world series run. So you can look back and say, okay, well, the nationals didn't get a Cy Young winner, but they also could have had a dud and at least gotten Adam Eaton for him. And, and that's something to, to be said. And with where the nationals roster is right now, they are built to win in 2021. You know, they have Max Scherzer on the last year of his deal. They have Steven Strasburg and Patrick Corbin, already into their thirties. They've got Trey Turner only two years away from free agency. Juan Soto is going to get more and more expensive as the years goes on. So where they are right now, they're in a unique position where they could capitalize by mortgaging that four or five year window that Mike Rizzo talks so much about, you know, planning down the line and go, you know, push the chips a little bit more into this win now position. Now I'm not saying go out and get a Chris Bryant with only one year of control, but there are some players out there that you could get with multiple years of control who probably have a better bat and could make more of an impact on an everyday basis in terms of the lineup than Robles can at this point. All right, so you kind of answered the question I want to ask, but I want to dig into that a little bit more. Let's pretend that you're Mike Rizzo right now, and you're on the phone with somebody, another team, whoever that team is. Let's say it's the Astro. It doesn't matter. And they say, okay, we're interested in Victor Robles. What do you want in return for Robles that you consider worth moving him? I would want a player with multiple years, uh, somebody who has an impact that, but is probably on the more expensive side. I think one of the big pros about Victor Robles right now is not only does he have such a high ceiling, but he also has such a young age. I mean, like I said before, he, he's old enough to be a prospect. He's 23 years old. So you have that upside, but also they're only paying him, you know, $600,000 a year or whatever, you know, the league minimum is going to be this season. That's pretty significant, especially right now in today's area where a team like the Reds has been shedding payroll, trading off some of its better players, and it has a Eugenio Suarez do 10.7 million this year. They might look at Robles and say, hey, you know, we could get a, a high impact guy, somebody who might be really good for us in a year or two. And also shed a bunch of payroll. And that might seem like a really enticing option at this point. So I would definitely, definitely, if I were Rizzo, dangle that price tag and say, look, like you're getting a cheap option who could be a superstar for you. Um, what would the alternative be in center field, though? Because you like his defense there and you like it, especially next to Kyle Schwarber, uh, because he's not a very good defensive player and you're going to have to compensate for that. So how would you backfill that position if you trade him like you said for Suarez who's an infielder I think I mean, you'd have to turn to the free agent market Andrew Stevenson is a very good defensive outfielder and I think he's actually somebody who the Nats are going to rely on more this season than a lot of people think 
Uh, he's just hasn't really gotten that full shot in the major leagues. And this is really going to be the first year that he gets it. So I do expect Andrew Stevenson to be a type of late inning defensive replacement, kind of like what we saw out of Michael A. Taylor for a few years, replacing Jason Worth in the eighth and ninth innings. I think we could see a lot of that with Kyle Schwarber. Uh, but as far as center field goes, there's a couple of free agents out there who are, you know, high defensive caliber players who maybe even bring you something better that the bat than Robles does a guy like Kevin Pillar or Jackie Bradley Jr. Now those guys are going to be more expensive as we mentioned than Victor Robles will be. So it kind of depends on how close you're willing to get up to the cap or not cap, but the luxury tax line and whether or not you want to leave enough breathing room for additions at the deadline and all that kind of stuff. But the way what we're looking at right now is they at least have a good 25 to 30 million left under that CBT with the way things stand right now. So you could afford theoretically to add uh, Suarez, subtract Robles and add a guy like Kevin Pillar, which would probably add about 17, 18 million under your payroll for next year. And that puts you at a spot where you're still working with about 10 to 12 million dollars of extra cushion uh, that you can use to, you know, add another reliever. If you choose Ryan Zimmerman's going to cost at least a million or something like that. If, if that's what you decide to do, you know, to fill out the fringes of the roster, you'd still have a little bit of room. You're aware at how much chase loves Carter Keyboom, right? Here you we know, go. His love affair with him. <laughs> yeah. Like chase loves Carter Keyboom. I think more than his cats and chase has a lot of cats. So just be aware that this is a very, very strong love, Matt. Would you like, when you watch him now, is he another guy that you would try to move and say, well, there's still that potential because he's young. Would you want to still, if you're the Nationals organization, keep him and hope he develops? Like, where are we in this situation? Because we've gotten to the point now where, look, I understand he was kind of thrust into a, a spot really ahead of where he should have been. And maybe he's even playing out of position. But I see someone that I, I really struggle having any confidence that Carter Keboom can develop into something even close to what they want at third base. Well, I will say that going into this season, I don't think that if the Nationals have World Series aspirations, they should go into the year with Carter Keboom as their plan A at third base. I think that he still has plenty of potential within the Nationals and where he is right now, his trade value is completely shot. You know, there's there's really no upside to trading him. A guy like Robles, you know, he's obviously struggled at the major league level, but he still carries a tremendous more amount of upside given that he was a top overall prospect back when he was in the minor leagues. And he still plays really good defense, you know, and has those projectable skills. Keboom isn't that guy. Keboom hits hit 188 in his major league career, which I know we mentioned not a very large sample size, but his defense has been suspect. He came up, he struggled. He moved over to the third base. He was all right there. I thought he actually played a little bit better than we were kind of expecting. But as far as trading him goes, there really isn't an avenue where you could trade Keyboom and really hedge that, that bet. Like we mentioned with Robles, you drafted Keyboom with a first round pick. And when you trade him right now, you're probably not really going to be able to get an everyday player. If you do trade him, it's probably going to be for another prospect or a veteran, somebody, you know, with fewer use of control, somebody who probably isn't going to make a huge impact uh, in your lineup. I don't think Keyboom can be a guy that you build a trade package around. So I would love to see Keyboom break out. And I think the Nationals should keep him within the organization. But if you go into 2021 with him as your starting third baseman, that's pretty tough because third base across the league has the highest average war accumulated by position of any other position in the league. And if your third base has become this black hole, you're at a severe disadvantage compared to almost every other team that is getting pretty good, if not great production out of that third base spot.
I agree they that sh- chase. Yeah, oh, I- take that. <laughs> I agree they shouldn't uh, trade Carter Keeboom, but for entirely different reasons, because I wouldn't <laughs> give up on the guy at this point. Um, my final question for you, uh, Jackson Rutledge, what can we expect from him? Uh, obviously, it's enticing. The size, the velocity, uh, first round pick, starting pitcher. Um, you think we'll, we'll see him make an impact this year? I think he definitely has a case to end up on the major league roster by the end of the year. They have a few options that they have to kind of go through before they're going to get to Rutledge. So I would imagine he probably doesn't come up until September, even if we do see him. I mean, just given the fact that the nationals didn't have a minor league season or anybody had a minor league season last year, they're going to want to kind of give him another year to get a seasoned. Now that he was at the alternatives training Sprite site in Fredericksburg, where he faced more experienced hitters, how is he going to take what he learned and then translate that to the minor leagues? You know, that's all going to take time. And and there are a lot of guys in the pecking order, uh, guys like Ben Bramer, uh, and, and a few other dudes up in on the 40 man roster already who are going to be kind of ahead of him, but him and, and Cade Cavalli, they're the two top pitching prospects in the organization. And I'd even lump Cole Henry in there, who was a second round pick out of LSU this past summer. I would say the three of them are probably pretty close to the majors. If there weren't so many guys in between them, they're all kind of have skill sets that translate quickly, high velocity, you know, Cavalli especially has like six different pitches uh, that he's able to mix and has pretty good control. So I would say, you know, Rutledge probably has the most developed fastball, uh, but he's working on some other pitches right now where I think that the Nationals are probably going to want to see him in the minor leagues, especially considering they, you know, they weren't able to have scouts all of last year and in ballparks, they're, they're going to want to take a closer look at him before they go thrusting him in the major league. So while I do think that he and Cavalli and Cole Henry are all pretty close to the majors, I would say that we're probably looking at, you know, later in the season, if not September or early next year, uh, before we really see them get an actual shot in the MLB. Make sure you check out more of Matt's work at NBCSportsWashington.com. Thanks for coming on, man. Good stuff. Yeah, thanks, guys. Appreciate it. Thanks to Matt for joining us. Uh, the Nationals also, Chase, did go out and get Armando Cruz. This this international system with baseball is it's weird. Like, I know this is what they do, but why can't everybody just be in the draft? You have international prospects in like every other sport and they're all mostly in the draft and baseball's just got this weird convoluted system with big bonuses and you got guys and putting in bids for play it's just it's way too complicated yeah I wish it would be like the NBA you and I are both big fans of the NBA and you know the best international players sometimes are the number one overall pick yeah and they're they're in there with all the American players and I think the big difference is there's there's such a de- there's so many developed professional leagues around the world that a guy like Luka Doncic, who I know you have posters all over your room, I do. Uh, with and his a shrine face on to him, them. by the way, yeah. too. There is a full he, shrine. He's your favorite player, uh, but he can develop in the Euro League and in international leagues, and sometimes be a professional from like the age of 15 until he's 18, 19, and then he enters the draft. You don't really have that uh, to the same extent in baseball. You know, a guy like Armando Cruz. Some of these guys, you know, they're they're 16 years old and they sign with. Uh, teams and it takes them forever to develop into big leaguers. I mean, it's Juan Soto was one of those guys, right? Victor Robles. Um, so the Nationals know what they're doing. Maybe this guy's the next version of that, but it's just so ridiculous. Like when you try to find information to these guys, they're so young and there's like so little that's known about them. You, they don't even show up on Google. Like Baseball America might write something, but you just can't find information. When I Googled him, Unfortunately, there's a guy by the same name who committed this like horrific crime that I guess was pretty high profile. 
And I had to read about that, which was terrible. Um, but Why did you keep reading knowing that it wasn't him? Well, it reminds me of a, a, a personal story, believe it or not, Nick. Oh, boy. Uh, where I don't think I've ever told this on the podcast before. But one time I got in the mail a check for 150 bucks. It was a class action lawsuit. And they basically the letter said that you were part of a lawsuit uh, involving a, a background check company. And I called up the bank. It was like Bank of America in New Jersey. And they were like, yeah, it's a real check. Go ahead and cash it. So I did. And I did some digging. And basically what happened is I applied for a job like in somewhere in the sports industry. This was years after the fact. I have no idea which one. And they ran a background check on me. And it came back and said that I was a sex offender. So I, so I didn't get the job, right? And wow. I, ended up, I ended up getting another $75 for it. It was $225. But basically that mistake prevented me from getting a job. By the way, I think I should have gotten more than $225. But what happened is there is there was a Chase Hughes in the Midwest who was like a serial sex offender. Like, oh my like terrible type stuff, like a complete monster. And my name, this, there was a, a big mistake and they thought I was the guy. And so I didn't get the job. Um, so wow. yeah, lesson learned. I, I, don't you think I should have gotten- I don't think there was a lesson learned for you. You didn't do anything wrong. Well, I feel like I should have, I, I feel like I should have hired a lawyer and gotten more than $225. I should have gotten like $25,000 or something. I mean, the question is, is could you have ever been able to even prove that though? That like, that was the reason and where it was and what it was. It was so long ago. Uh, I mean, it's, I, I've, you know, I've searched my name before. It's not as unique as I thought it was growing up. Uh, there's more Chase uses out there. I was wondering how, how unique is Nick Ashew? Have you ever heard of another Nick Ashew? Very much so. So I'm actually related to another one. He's like my second cousin twice removed. He's my dad's, no, my grandfather's brother. I, I don't know the connection, but like, no, I know him pretty well. Like we've, his birthday is the day before mine. He has and he's, the same he's not a sex offender. No, he's not a sex offender, okay. thankfully. Right. Just so that's checking. A good thing. So just I don't have to, there, there are, I think there's actually a website where you can search and see how many people have your name in the world. He's the only other one that I know of. And we've met we've multiple times. We've talked. Uh, it, actually, if you, it'd be funny. If So if you go and Google his name, you'll find a lot of stuff on him. He used to work for AIG. He was the communications director at AIG. Now he's with another company. Um, but yeah, like he's... It's it's very it's it's weird. Like we have the same middle initial, I think, in everything. It's very strange. Cause yeah, well, my name is pretty unique. Like if somebody has the last name Ashu, we're probably related somehow, some way. Like yeah, I've not, never. You know. I, that is a unique last name. I I had never heard of uh, another Nick Ashu before. But I mean, yes. it makes sense. You're related. There's actually a few Chase uses out there. There's one guy who like studies like body language and was like ex-military and, and he's he's actually got the chaseuse.com domain like he's like this kind of public figure so yeah I've, I've kind of been like in a race for the last five years to like who's at the top of google searches and <laughs> luckily my twitter account is and that's what matters yeah yeah it, your name is a, a lot less unique though still semi-unique compared to i should reach words. out to him i should reach out to him and see if he's ever had this same uh, mistaken identity and if you it's know cost, actually that would be him interesting to see yeah. That would be interesting to see if that was the case. So I feel like this should have been the walk-off. <laughs> it's kind of turned into the walk-off, but it's, I know it's not the walk-off. So I guess you can walk us off now too, Chase. It's always you first. Yeah, uh, two quick things. One, um, I want to plug my story on Mike Callow, a DC sports fan who collects memorabilia, but not the type of memorabilia most sports collectors do. He collects stuff from the worst moments in DC sports history. And Nick, I know you know, 
Mike Callow used to work with him. He's a ra- local radio producer now at 6.30 a.m. He used to be my producer with Tim Murray back in the day for a while. Yep. Yeah, great guy. Callow very well. I've known him for years, and I didn't realize he had this hobby. And, and just to give you an example, the 2014 NL Division Series between the Nats and Giants, he has the clubhouse nameplate from Matt Williams to commemorate Jordan Zimmerman getting pulled in game two, uh, of course, for Drew Storen. And he's also got Adam LaRoche's like game-used jersey from the postseason because he had a terrible postseason series. He's got um, all these like Nationals artifacts, like old uh, Caps artifacts, uh, Wizards, uh, Washington football team. And all of it is like tied to memories of the worst losses in recent DC sports history. And it's a really twisted hobby, but I think, you know, he's 31 years old. If you're part of that generation of DC sports fans, then I think you might be able to understand because we all went through a lot growing up, especially Nationals fans. They went through a lot before they finally climbed the mountaintop. And then secondly, just a quick show recommendation, Night Stalker on Netflix is fantastic. Uh, Speaking of monsters, uh, going back to what I was talking about, extremely creepy it's about um you know serial killer in the 80s in LA but it's just really well done like there's just amazing editing you know it's like probably the best murder documentary I've ever seen so I'd recommend it although it's extremely gruesome our society has this weird fascination with serial killers I just don't get it not for me I, I I I know it's a thing but like this morbid fascination people have with serial killers is very strange it is bizarre. Uh, they try to not focus on the killer. They try to focus on the cops and the victims. Um, but, you know, nat- naturally, there's going to be a mystique well, about the killer. It's, yeah, and I, I've seen people who have written critiques and thought pieces, think pieces about, you know, how they still kind of screwed it up. It's, it's tough to do, and I absolutely agree with you, but it's a fascinating documentary. And if you're into that stuff, I would recommend it. For my walk-off, I'm using my new mic. How's it sound? Do you like it? Sounds great. I yeah, you don't it. have the uh, you had the problem with your your voice going down a few octaves, huh? Yeah, that's not happening anymore with the uh, the other one. Of course, I still use that for TV stuff, so hopefully that won't happen. <laughs> I'm hoping that was just the connection to the laptop in this case, but this is like all this professional stuff. I, I we just moved into our new house, and I had to uh, make sure that the the home studio was one of the first things I set up, given the podcast that I'm doing and all of this. So it's like I, I got I got to get this thing ready and up and going. So. You know, I, I've nerded out on this, watched YouTube videos on how to make sure I set up everything right, get the right settings on everything. I may tweak it more. I don't know. But I feel like it's in today's world where so much stuff is done at home and remotely. It's just a necessity now. Yeah, I mean, you sound great. It, it was getting to the point where it's like once a podcast, I was like, I was like, Shaq, is that is that Shaq? <laughs> it was weird. I don't know. And it's like the weird thing about that happening is that you don't know. Like, I don't know what's happening. I can't hear it. You only yeah. hear it on your end, so you just start giggling, and I'm like, oh, it's doing the weird low-octave thing again on my voice. <laughs> just weird. I mean, look, we're all dependent on technology, and now more than ever we're dependent on technology. So when that technology doesn't actually do its job right, you feel, you feel helpless. You're like, I can't figure it out. So we've all, you know, that YouTube videos, man, I've learned so much on YouTube. It's unbelievable. YouTube, YouTube uh, University is, is fantastic. Especially during, uh, you know, all this working from home, I've got a new microphone, a new webcam, I mean, new like ring light, I've gotten all this equipment from home that like, like Twitch streamers use. So I've been watching all these like 17 year olds who like review technology. It's a whole new world of YouTube that I, I knew existed, but I never kind of like dipped my toes in. And, and now I know who all these people are. It's pretty fascinating. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess uh, you and I will just continue to keep adding technology as we go and learn more and more about it. So we're going to be tech nerds. We're going to know everything about this stuff. It's going to be great. (laughs) I just prefer to ask the really smart people that 
handle this stuff all the time. And I'm like, what's your recommendation? And that's how I do it. So it works. But. Yeah, I got a recommendation. Chip Briere, the Washington football team, shout out to him. He told me the mic, the, the camera, all that. Oh, yeah. Well, there you go. See, somebody that's already used it and they like it. My guy, Wes Hall, recommended this mic to me. He does voiceover work. So he was right. I was that's like, a good, I that's like a good place to go to get a recommendation yep. for sure. If you know anybody that does voiceover work and they recommend a certain amount of equipment, they're usually going to be right on that. Uh, if Speaking you haven't of deep voices. The National Talk Pike, what's that? Speaking of deep voices. Yeah, speaking of, yeah, let me tell you something. I don't have Wes's voice, and I never will have Wes Hall's voice. That's for <laughs> sure, Chase. If you haven't subscribed to the Nationals Talk podcast, make sure you do uh, give us a follow on all of the socials as well. We'll be back next week, and I guess soon, Chase. We're, I mean, I know we got a little while to go, but pitchers and catchers, I'm hoping, although maybe it's going to be delayed. I don't know. I'm just going to sit here and hope that it's a normal schedule and things start on time. Who knows? Yeah, I mean, it should just be a few short weeks normally, but we haven't heard. Baseball doesn't even know if they're going to have the DH in the National League. It's uh, yeah, but you know how it is. They 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 end up they end up not talking about it. All of a sudden, everything comes out at once. So that's what I'm holding out hope for. That's my goal. But speaking of the Nationals building their roster, uh, we still don't know if they're going to need one of those. I don't think they will, but we'll see. That's true. Yeah, Uh, you know me. I'd love to see the DH, but that's just mine. So (laughs) (laughs) we'll talk to you next week. Some people just know the best rate for you is a rate based on you with Allstate. Not one based on the driver who treats the highway like a racetrack and the shoulder like a passing lane. Why pay a rate based on anyone else? Get one based on you with DriveWise from Allstate. Not available in Alaska or California. Subject to terms and conditions. Rates are determined by several factors which vary by state. In some states, participation in DriveWise allows Allstate to use your driving data for purposes of rating. While in some states, your rate could increase with high-risk driving. Generally, safer drivers will save with DriveWise. Allstate Fire and Casualty Insurance Company and affiliates Northbrook, Illinois.